Welcome to the fifth episode of the Testing Peers podcast. Tonight, we are rambling on reporting and how it fits into the testing process. Tonight, we have Russell, we have Simon, myself and Chris. And so, what are we all eating tonight? Thursday night for us is always beige night. Beige tea night, we're all busy. Beige night. <laughs> no chicken nugget. We had a roast tonight. Mm. Uh, Thursday, Thursday roasts. I'm, I'm running a bit roast. late. Pork chops, but not really roast, but still. Running a bit late. I went for a cycle after work and only got in at about eight o'clock. Had to shower and cook and just got them out of the oven in time. Simple food. We had burgers. So Simon wins the prize for the most healthy meal tonight. What a roast. <laughs> But it's healthier than beige or there was lots of there was lots of veg. To be fair, yeah, these are beans really. It's beans curd. They're not actual chicken. It's not a competition, guys. Everything's a competition, Chris. Get with the program. (laughs) I refuse to. Excellent. Let's get to the topic. I have a question for you. How do you display your metrics or displaying your results? Well, and how reporting your testing, isn't it? That's and reporting it. your testing. Yeah. And actually reporting testing is an art to be able to highlight those areas that are a problem, but you can ease very easily hide by the expectation a green dot means good to go. It's it's the game of the system thing, isn't it? People yeah. like if there's an expectation for a certain amount of things, you can hide so much stuff. If you're being asked to produce a report, but your report's 30 pages long and you know no one's ever going to read it, you can just do that. Or, or if, if you just need to show I exceeded X number of test cases because no one's ever going to check up on it, you can just do that. And then there are people hide behind the agile thing saying that um, working software over documentation means that I have to do documentation, which of course isn't really what you're supposed to do. But people do that. Then there's people who hate test management tools. It's interesting because you say about hiding in a 30-page report, working in a very regulated industry like I did in a previous role, Literally, if you and your test plan listed that you're going to run 3,500 tests for the regression cycle or the end-to-end test cycle, when it came to your test exit report or test completion report, as it was called, and you listed out exactly how many tests you'd run and how many tests passed, etc., they would question why the number didn't match the test plan. So that in that time frame where we tried to be smarter with our testing and reduced our test coverage down or increased the number of test cases, they would come back on us as to ask why we hadn't matched the number, the exact number that we'd done in the previous test test plan. Did they um, want to know the reason, or actually the numbers to match? So they want a conversation about like your reason. Yeah, it depends. Well, it tended to be the actual person that was regulating us was actually an ex test manager, so he was actually quite amenable when it comes to talking about smarter testing. We were able to have that conversation and he go, oh, fair enough, but just make sure in future, if you're doing this, we would like to see why you've changed your test coverage, which is fair enough. I'm sure we've all worked with regulations and there's differing levels of regulation, how stringent they have to be. But reporting in those environments can be pretty tricky because you have to make sure you comply with all the regulations as well as completing the testing. I think it come down to that. And obviously, because it's finance related, even a pence difference in the results that we were getting in our testing and what happened in production or if you're comparing results between one system and another, if they don't match exactly, then there was problems. And we had to do things like four-way balancing to make sure that all four systems were reporting the same financial figure. And that's what they care about more 
is the the actual finances of it, not necessarily the user experience or the the, the overall perceived quality yeah. of the system. Well, that's what the regulators are there for. Yeah, they're not exactly. there for the experience. Good. Doesn't care. Doesn't don't care how fluffy it looks. They want to just know yeah. the numbers are right. I know a PM who said that they didn't like a pie chart because you can hide a lot of information behind a pie chart. But to be honest, you can hide a lot of information in whatever form that you actually yeah. produce. Any um, simple metric, the same it's simple metric, therefore you can hide anything. You can manipulate anything. Of course. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah, exactly. Give the full data, but as you said, most people won't read the full data most of the time. They might well, notice front, front page, front page of a newspaper. People who read that headline, it doesn't matter what the content, content has, if they've read that headline. And in fact, some people just try and skim read or predict what's actually happening. They will see, like we said before, a green dot to them means go. And it doesn't matter what it says underneath. It doesn't matter if there's any number of colors underneath. They're looking for that green dot and because they're busy people and that's, that's what they're looking for. I do feel at times that we make excuses for people not doing things properly. It's human nature to skim, to collect shortcuts and do all that sort of stuff, don't get me wrong. But if you if I was accountable for releasing software, then I'd be making sure across the T's, dot the I's. Not just see a green dot, I'd read the content of the information because someone has spent the time to build this and to put it there. Therefore, my job is to make sure I read it, ask questions before I execute it. And if I don't have the time to do that, there's a bigger organizational job or the report's too big. Or I have to give yeah, you agree. There you've got too much stuff in, I care about X, Y. Yeah, it's, it's knowing your audience for the report, is it? Because there's not like a one report for everybody, because testers will want more detail in the report than the release manager. The release manager might want to know change change sets and, and bits and bobs for release notes and stuff. And then maybe the head of tech might just want to care that everything's on track and they're going to keep on deadlines and, and whatever. Yeah, you're right. There might be a case of as a test manager, you'd, you'd want to advocate for the testing your team had done, so therefore you'd want to know enough information to be able to articulate it and talk about it and yeah. explain the coverage that you'd, your team had done as far as the testing. Whereas I've worked with PMs and others that literally, I haven't got time to read your report, just give me a rag status, is it good to go? Or can you have it, Can you give me an executive summary slide table with this red, amber and green for yeah. security performance? Yeah, yeah. And and then and then and then you say that I've had I've had dev managers and delivery managers in the past where they've just gone, How do you feel about it? Are you happy to go live? And if you're happy to go live, they'll go live. And that that actually in a way is the worst one because there's no documented evidence of what you said. It's an interesting yeah. um, I guess that, that all goes towards right right to that all goes towards a culture of irregular releasing, if that makes sense. Slow releases yeah, and frequent I agree. releases. Because I guess I don't know, my world our worlds have been very rapid releases. So, you know, things went out and broke. Yeah, that was kind of normal. Well, it wasn't catastrophic or bad. But, you know, things went out and bad, depending on what it was. You had certain risks, rollbacks were normal. Um, and that was a way of learning. Uh, obviously, you didn't have catastrophic failures. You had just kind of, oh, we had, we had three people call in about this little thing. Right, okay, fix it. Roll back, roll forward, whatever you need to do. But the acceptance of that was quite, normal so what we we trained ourselves to stop the critical failures versus all failures um and because you could have that rollback because you had kind of like um you had high quality beforehand to a degree as well um you kind of had fast feedback loops so that actually you learned quick our regression runs took a day worst case scenario so you kind of got data fast to make choices and that's full regression everything not parts and bits and bobs and also after did you release some things once or twice a day, some things 
once a fortnight, depending on the change. Some things were 10 teams contributing to, so we put a schedule of fortnightly in. My goal, my ambition was to get that to weekly, and then less. But things like that changed. But yeah, it was all about trying to adapt to the problem, which is we didn't do reports because it was constantly moving. You could take longer to write a report than to get the results. So it became more, do you have a failure? If there's a failure, fix it. That test should not be failed. Did it fail because of the code? Did it fail because the test is now right? And just had to keep everything 100% all the time. And that's constantly keeping you busy, but it meant your reports were, did automation all pass? Yes. It made life a lot less complicated in some ways. Everything should be green. And because you could run it constantly, get feedback constantly, that meant you didn't have reports saying tests failed or things you didn't want to do. It changes your attitude to risk as well, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you know that you've got the tests that cover the high risk things. And you know that before any new bit of software goes out, those tests will also be automated. That's part of the definition of done. Therefore, you've got the coverage so that your reports get quite easy. Just here's the evidence of the automation being green. And if it's not green, you have to put an explanation as why your test you've said is green, even though it came out red. The faster the feedback loops you get, the easier test reporting, testings become. Getting that fast feedback, however, is a whole different subject. <laughs> you can't automate everything, first and foremost. Um, but the things you want to do regularly, they're the things you want to automate. If you can get that, then you can get faster feedback. Great. Do you have a good relationship with customers, as in like customer support and stuff? Did you actually get the feedback yeah. through usefully? Yeah, yeah, very good connection. So all the customer support teams, team leaders and all the rest of it, mean, I'd visit them occasionally and say hello. We'd have Slack channels that they were a part of. We literally had a team that kind of looked after kind of communication, would escalate anything that went bad. We would get dev managers to stop things. The culture for the devs and testers was, that's bad, we've got to fix it. Well, that's bad, we need to turn off that feature. That's bad, we've got to do this. And if I'm honest with you, over the last year, we had features, things that went out that impacted a couple hundred people. Worst case scenario that we know of, nothing was much bigger than that. Definitely had some performance issues that probably were bigger. Um, but we just turned those features off because they were usually beta features that we put out and it had a knock-on consequence. We had an horrendously red taped process uh, McAfee for that. Basically, after we had a couple of production issues that caused big, big blue screen of deaths for hundreds of thousands of customers. We put this production change board in place, which meant any change going into production had to go through not just one level of, of the review, but there'd be a localized, what they call a pod review, which was where they had three people from that particular SME area to review mm. the request. And then if they approved it, they'd send it to the board. And the board would then meet twice a week on a Tuesday and Thursday to review all the ones that were ready to go live. And they'd then spend all that time. And then there'd have to be a scheduled date of when they could put the change in. And so basically it was two weeks just for this process part. So you had to factor two weeks into your release cycle. Which means well, failure is more likely. You learn something in those two weeks. Exactly. You can't respond. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I um, complained of ours was a day. Ours delayed things 24 hours. So, yeah. Russell, Russell, yes. it, it, did, you, did your attitude to these things change? Did you feel like, say, three years ago, four years ago, mm. did you have a much, much greater sort of resistance to those sorts of things and then, then, then something happened or, or, or it changed or is it just you always felt that way? It all comes down to being what I'm held accountable for. So if my bosses would yell at me if things didn't go into production, then I would put horrible processes in place to make sure I didn't cock up, is the honest answer, because it'd be on my head. But if it's a team culture, 
as in we all make mistakes, things go wrong, do we do our best, do we learn from our mistakes, that culture exists. You don't want to put things in, you want to enable, you want to empower, you want to help people learn, is the honest answer, rather than stop them. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think I was definitely more process-orientated three years ago, four years ago. But my desire to learn, to adapt, to help the team fail, but learn from it, probably made me not want to do it. But also my belief in having the processes in terms of how people work to try and prevent the common mistakes. What an extra day does, what a review of a manager does to approve them. I know myself reviewing this, I can't tell you the details of that project. So I can't tell you what testing was missed unless they have not put anything in that document saying performance testing. Then I can go to them, have you done performance testing? They go, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't put in the form. And that's just delayed it by an hour. So what we found is we taught people what they need to do. They end up doing it. Whether they put in a form or not, it's a different problem. I do think my attitude changed. Cool. Teach the people. Don't put a process in. Gate posting. I agree. No, I agree. And it's, it's a hard battle because, yeah. yeah, a lot of experience I've had is they want the process in place so they can, they've got a paper trail to prove that, that things have been done correctly. And actually, you're right. It's just about making sure the people have the right tools and the right knowledge and the right understanding of what they need to do and then trust them to do it. Yeah. But, to be fair, though, if I was working in some of the industries you talked about, I know that the audit trail of these things was not 100%. As in, I could go in, look at any one of them and probably point out five things that weren't quite right in the audit. Yeah, and I guess I guess there is a particular context drive there, isn't there, of, of what is the context that this, this process has been put in place for. Is it impacting the lives of customers? Is it impacting, you know, the lives? The, the cybersecurity world is a particular one of, you know, they're trying to protect people and if, if things go wrong, it can be quite bad for them. I guess the healthcare industry and others as well, you know, we want to make sure that things don't break in production. Yeah. If it's a, a HR software or a SaaS solution that's not going to be impacting lives, then yes, there can be a less risk adverse type approach. Thing I guess. Is, I guess the audit of it doesn't change the risk of it, but doesn't generally yeah. impact the risk. What you test, what you do, that is the value. The report that says you did 30, 35 tests, not 34 isn't as important as what those 34 tests cover. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's about, yeah, yeah. Again, it comes back to how you articulate it and how you show mm. that the coverage is, is adequate to, to be happy to release but, with. And, yeah. yeah. But to maintain a license, you might need to always show you have an audit. If you said you did 35 tests, you did. Yeah. You did it's a bit like showing you're working on your, your maths exams, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, rather than just putting the answer down, you need to yeah, actually it, show it, where, how you've got to it. It's that acceptance criteria though. Part of your acceptance criteria is that you've got the audit of the test that we did in my head. Yeah. But at the same yeah. point, did you watch the test flash home talk by Amy Phillips? Um, yes. She's, she, she highlighted the fact that HMRC are releasing all the time and that they're, they're GitHub open and those sorts of things. Like, and that HMRC's got to be a heavily audited place and yet they are pushing out all the time. We had multiple ISO standards and all the rest of it. But whenever we spoke to our auditors, we beased them by showing them we had a process in place, not that we had yeah. every form was perfect and show that you put the relatively processes in place, people seem to abide by it. Then it's hard. And certainly I know as a manager, when you try and pick an example, go, oh, yeah, I'll show you an example of my team doing the thing I told them to do and they agree to do. You pick one and it looks nothing like what they need to be doing. It's embarrassing. Have you worked in places that have got um, like various IT service management, like, compliancy type things like CMMI or ITIL or... ITIL is the one I've worked in, yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, I've worked in three TPI, places. Well. TPI Next was the one we used at Camelot, which is a very similar thing. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's an Accenture or Capgemini type process, which is very similar to TMMI. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> but we were doing CMMI 2 plus. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. That for two year olds plus. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the conversations you have are but I mean, I mean, the, the sort of, I, mean, I, I kind of appreciated it in the sense that when they audited you, they didn't just ask that you had a process in place or that you had place there. She wanted you to show that it was followed. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, plucked, oh, they, they plucked randoms like me. Yeah. And then they'd say, oh, yeah, you say you do, um, code reviews. Show me. And you're like, oh. so you know, you could pull up your laptop and just. Show them something magic, and they'd be like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Yeah, that's kind of what happened. The TPI next process I went through. They they interviewed fourteen random people from the test team, and then they interviewed random people of the business as well. And they asked them all the same questions to do with: Does the QA write a test plan? Do they write this? Do they do this? Do they do risk based testing? Do they do? Have they got a strategy in place? How much of you have read the strategy? And yeah, they'd go through fifty or sixty questions and rate you based on your answers, and they'd want to see evidence for every single one, and it. It was time consuming and it made you feel like, you know, and there's a lot more red tape around this process than actually doing the testing. You know, if that's a regulation, regulatory requirement that the team are assessed every so often to make sure they're testing things correctly, then yeah, fair enough, I guess. But yeah, it, it comes down to, I guess, our kind of test strategies as kind of leaders and things, making sure they're understood and people know why, if it's regulatory, etc. And that we hold and coach people to be held accountable for. Yeah things that are important so that actually we don't need bureaucratic processes on top of these to add to it and that things are followed they're followed you know if we saw the tester go and test something i'm sure all of us trust that tester to do testing to the best of their ability if in doubt they'd come and ask somebody and so on we should be able to say the same thing of can you make sure you complete all the necessary things automation if you need to create it um, exploratory test sessions if you need to create them, um, log of test results, a history of a code reviews or pair reviews or test reviews. We should just be able to ask to a degree, as long as we've made clear the ask and hope that it's followed. And when it's not, you know, accept that someone's not doing their job properly and coach them accordingly. It's interesting the, the nature of the projects that we work on as a consultancy you know one size does not fit all you know every client has a completely different way of working and what they want to report on so we do have a process and in fact we have two processes one which is more regulated for for medical products and then a general one for for all other projects within the company um, but we have to make it flexible enough to allow for different you know the agile way or the the v model a waterfall way uh, depending on the project and how much documentation and where on you know because they sometimes they come to us and only want a small part of a particular project for us to work on so it needs to be able to be scaled down but then have the ability to go actually they want us to do a bit more work and then extend it up so for us it's incredibly difficult to have a consistent approach for every project because every project is completely different um, i'm going to find that out soon i'm sure there was someone, someone put something like this on, on Twitter that I, I threw a like at the other day because they were saying that, um, it's, it's not possible to have everyone working on the same way because you've got different people and you're working on different tools, potentially. Um, and yeah. so there, there, there are things that you should need to standardize. Absolutely. 
but you can't do everything. It's just not possible. No, yeah. and this is this is part of my frustration when when standardising stuff. You know, you talk about the people talk about oh, you have to do the test cases have to be written in in this particular format. Yeah. Reports have to be using this particular template, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you're right; everybody's different. Everybody works in different ways. There's there's a there's a right level of standardization that's needed just to prove that we're testing effectively or we're running projects in an effective way. Yes, absolutely. But there comes yeah. a level where you like you have to trust that the team are doing the right thing. Also, as a, as a test manager, you're accountable that if your team aren't doing the right thing, that you'll you'll put the right things in place to resolve it rather than relying on whether a test report is picked up by someone outside of testing that, oh, by the way, you've missed the test, you've missed those tests on this area, or you've missed this, or you've you've not signed off on the release, or et cetera, et cetera. It's a report. You know, people make mistakes when writing reports. It's not necessarily a, ref- a true reflection of what testing they've done. It's very true. As I said, it comes down to highlighting what's important, what isn't, what's critical. Then you have to follow the template. If it was a legislative-type template to prove X, Y, and Z, then yes. But actually, it may just be you need to show that the Four systems calculated. So that's the one thing that's mandatory. The rest of it, the form is just there because it was useful. It's just trying to make sure you know which is which, I guess. I think also we need to allow testers to have some flexibility and to try new things. What you don't want is for them all to be clones of each other and and not learn from new testing techniques that are coming in. So they so we need to support them as leaders in order to allow that flexibility. But like Simon just said, pick up the pieces if things go wrong and have a separate route to capture those things if, if things don't pan out quite so well. I've had challenges around that one, I think, because I've had people not realise the output, what it's used for, if that makes sense. So it's making sure they understand the, the value of the product which they're producing. I executed a test, the test worked, the team can release the software, yay, good. Well, no, actually, that has to be an audit that gets used by X, Y, and Z. It has to be stand-up and so on and so forth. And sometimes they get lost from the the full picture, focus just on the immediate picture, which is, I've tested this and it worked. And I guess it's trying to draw the two together because you can experiment, but you need to know the bounds of your experiment because if you, if you get them wrong, then you can go off on tangents and and forget the purpose of what the artifact was trying to do. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this uh, week's episode. Or, uh, <laughs> that was a good one. That's, that's the outro, yeah? <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I'd leave that in there. Okay, you have to use that. <laughs> <laughs> It's back to the uh, dial-up, I think. <laughs> That's what I was going for. Thank you. The charades worked, which wasn't... That was podcast charades. It's very hard to play. <laughs> no miming allowed. Anyway, try again. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode where we talked about uh, reporting. If you'd like to get in contact with us, feel free to reach us at contactus testingfears.com or tweet us at testingfears. Thank you. For now, it's goodbye from the testing peers. Goodbye. Goodbye.